Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a December 19th, Monday morning edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host for the day, Eric Garcia Gunderson. And today I am joined by Locked On Blaze, Locked On Warriors host. Excuse me, you can tell it's been a few days since I've done the podcast. Danny Larue, how you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, I'm back. I was in New York for a few days. Went out to a uh, uh, work trip out there. It was a lot of fun. I got sick beforehand, which which was terrible, but I, I made it. I'm in one piece. Uh, I wish I could say the same for the Blazers as they've been getting uh, pretty pretty beat down uh, while I was gone. They gave up 130 to Denver and then they gave up another 130 <laughs> to the Warriors, which was a little bit more expected. But um, how are you, man? I'm good. Uh, it, w- it was definitely a strange game in the sense that after Portland had that bad game against the Nuggets, I wasn't sure what to expect from the Warriors and from the Blazers in that game. When I found out Aminu wasn't going to play, it definitely made it less interesting. But the Warriors have consistently, and there's a, a really good reason for this, the Warriors have given the Blazers a lot of respect, and they played them like this was a game that they cared about. And that's a big part of the reason why it ended up so lopsided. And a good moment that crystallized this was... Despite the Warriors being up, I think it was like about 28 points at towards the end of the first half, they still went to the to the Draymond at center death lineup, even though the game was basically out of hand. Just as a to me, like Nate Nate Duncan has used this expression for for about a year now that the death lineup is a show of respect that you really they really only use it in those circumstances, and the Blazers are deserving of that respect even when they're having an off night. You know, that, that's good that the Blazers have the respect of the Warriors right now because uh, right now it seems like they they need all the encouragement they can get. Uh, Damian Lillard going to Chris Haynes and saying that this stuff is unacceptable uh, and he was definitely not being PG uh, in that uh, description of, of things. And uh, they're on the verge of a players-only meeting. Uh, they haven't gotten there yet, but... Uh, and it, it's pretty clear that uh, it, it seems like, at least from what, what Dame is saying, that you know he's not putting this on the coaches or a scheme or anything. I think it's execution of the scheme uh, uh, that they're failing at. And, yeah, the Warriors do respect this team, and I think last year's playoff series definitely has a lot to do with that. But right now, I mean, the Blazers, are, I wonder if it, in some ways – the playoff maybe thought that that series against the Warriors last year and how good they were maybe 
this is just you know a, a theory here but not on Damon CJ but maybe some of the other guys maybe they thought that they were already going to be in that place where Golden State and the Spurs and the Clippers and the Rockets are now you know like because it, it was such an amazing story last year and Dame mentioned being worried about guys being too content and you know, I, I I think he might have a point that guys maybe just aren't giving as much of a crap as they should have, or as they as they as they used to last year when they were hungrier and no one knew who they were. It's also a challenge. I was thinking about this during the game for the Blazers, and as somebody who's covered the Warriors for years, this is definitely true for them. That your first time is always a little bit easier, also if you defy expectations, because. When you have an 82-game season, NBA teams just know certain teams and they focus on that and they, they look at it. And when somebody like the Blazers comes on a little bit later, they can get that surprise element where maybe the team was focusing on another game in that general time period and so they could catch up on people because players watch a fair amount of basketball, but they, they might not see just because of their, their job. They might not see as much of the league overall. So mm -hmm. let's say they played the Blazers in January. They might not know, oh, wow, this team is really good. Now they're not surprising anybody. People not only know that they're good, but they know why they're good and how they're good and have probably spent a little bit more time figuring out how to stop them. So that is a fundamental difference and requires a little bit more from you to play the same type of way. Also, last year, they were really healthy, and yeah. they haven't been as really healthy this year. I mean, it's, it really has been a lot of more Aminu, and if we want to count Festus, we can count Festus. But that it, it's, a, it's a challenge in that way as well, because beating high-quality opponents when you're not at full strength is a real challenge. And every team struggles with that. It's just it's part of the reason why strategic rest exists and part of the reason why it's such a big issue for the league. But in this game, there were a couple different things that, that really did stand out. One was that, to me, Portland's defensive failings, which were not there when they played well against Oklahoma City in another game I watched closely, it really does kind of take a team effort. And the Warriors played really well, so that has to be acknowledged. But... Mm -hmm. They were letting too much penetration happen, which is more of a guard issue. And then when that when that issue comes, then it takes generally takes a really good help defense to, to solve that without something screwing up. So that can be either some help from the power forward or it can be the center. But the one of the things the Warriors do, which is so challenging, is that they're great at making that next pass. And so sometimes just that single first seam was just creating issues at various different moments because Portland has capable players, but they don't have those kind of like Rudy Gobert guys who can mm -hmm. just kind of be in two places at once. And that is a lot of what help defense is against teams that can really pass. If it's only a team that can make station to station stuff, it's a little bit easier, but that's not the Warriors. Yeah. You could definitely tell the Warriors were just having, they were getting so many shots with ease there. The Blazers getting confused with switches Clay causing problems off the ball, then they're switching, then they're miscommunicating, guys get open back door, and everything's open in the middle, and yeah, it, it's been pretty bad, and Aminu not being there, I've talked uh, several times about how uh, incredible, obviously in a small sample size, his plus minus has been the effect that he's had on the defense when he comes on the floor, it's been a small sample size, but it's been pretty absurd according to NBA.com, but 
Aminu hasn't been playing that much this year, and because of that, this is, you know, small sample size, 29 games in. The Blazers' defensive rating right now would, if it if the season ended today, would be a top, bottom eight all-time in NBA history defensive rating. That's how yeah. bad this team has been on defense. Like, it, it's been, they haven't just been bad. Like, they have been historically bad, and this is... I don't know where they're going to fix this, but it's it's getting to the point where it's like I almost don't even – I can't even believe that they're this bad. A lot of that also, the reason why you see these, oh, look, something historic pace-wise is happening 20, 25 games in is because the season overall it regresses to the mean. You know, the, mm-hmm. the worst things get better. The better things get worse. It's generally the same thing with these historic offenses. The Raptors and the Warriors are both doing really well all time in those metrics. The large numbers of the season balance a lot of that stuff out. And presumably with the Blazers, they will play more with Aminu moving forward than they have so far. That certainly seems fair. But Another thing I wanted to talk about, which I think has been underappreciated in the story of that game on Saturday, is the Warriors' defense played really well. And that has been a big pivot point for this season because the Warriors' offense has been great. But they did a great, they did an excellent job stopping Portland from some of the things that they do best. I mean, Lillard still had a nice night statistically, especially because he only played three quarters. He had 20 points on 15 field goal attempts. But Overall, they were challenging shots, not letting the Blazers get to the line that much, and playing a good game on that end. And from what I could tell, it was more the Warriors doing well than the Blazers doing poorly, though it certainly wasn't a lot of the trademark stuff from Portland for a good reason. They were missing Aminu, and it was, you know, especially when a team hangs. I think it was 39 points on you in the first quarter. It can get hard to really motivate yourself to go full bore offensively too. Which happens to this team. I've uh, ranted about this to Dane Carbaugh several times, and, and it's become known as my, my biggest pet peeve of the Blazers. The 30-point quarter is this team's plague that they just cannot kill. Like every game, in the last two games, they've given up three 30-point quarters in games, and they've just been – uh, it's been incredible, but I do think also they will regress to your point about not just uh, getting Aminu back, but of the 29 games they've played so far this season, only 12 of them have been at home, and they're 8-4 and four at home. So they will get a little bit better when they get some more time at home in January, February, around Christmas time when they get back, because they just, they're playing in sack uh, tomorrow, I believe, and... Uh, that game is is going to be the last of an eight out of nine stretch on the road after they'd had, you know, so they uh, are, are going to get the schedule back in their favor a little bit. Um, but so, some other stuff happened. While uh, Do you want to say anything else about this game or this matchup? Yeah. One other okay. big thing yeah. is yeah, before, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was great. He, he had, this was probably his most assertive offensive game in in the season so far I don't know if that was Blazers related at all or he just picked this moment because Harkless did a decent enough job on him it was just that Durant decided okay I'm gonna do it he scored 34 points on 13 field goal attempts like that's just ridiculous it's and he's an incredible player and one of the dynamics for the Warriors this year is that Durant has been very deferential is probably the best word for it for through this year you know passing up open threes to to give it to teammates and everything like that and 
there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not going to knock a guy too much in the early season for passing, overpassing a little bit. But everyone who's watched Durant, especially his MVP year, knows that when that he's his special scorer, and when he wants to, he can get a shot because he's a massive guy. He's almost always bigger than the player who's defending him. And in this game, at certain moments, especially in the third quarter, he just went, no, I'm just going to take this shot and just was killing everything and was was doing great. And it wasn't his best defensive game, but he was still more than good enough on that end. And so it was a reminder of that even though the Warriors have been great offensively this year, that they have at least one more gear just with Durant. The Durant thing you mentioned made me it also remind me of the thing you made on the point you made on the defensive end before we move on that I think I mean you've watched Durant more closely than I have but it feels like overall his defense has been so much more consistent this season than it has pretty much at any point in his career at least in the regular season like he's looking like the guy that was playing defense against the Warriors last year in the playoffs for stretches this year it's a lot closer so Last year in the playoffs, he showed more defensively than I had ever seen from him before. It was there. You always have this thing with guys, especially who are long, but who are athletic too, who you think, oh man, they could be so good defensively. And but usually once they hit like their mid twenties and they're not that, you kind of go, oh well, maybe they're just not that guy. And that was sort of where I had gotten to with Durant. And then all of a sudden you see it and you go, oh yeah, okay, this is the original expectation was fair. That was almost never a regular season thing before this year, and probably about one in every five games this year that's happened, and that doesn't sound like much, but one in five compared to one in like 40 is a whole lot more. Yeah, that's a that's a major increase in, uh, in, in what he's doing. Yeah, no, and I, it was funny, Durant still getting to that other gear, I was, when I was in New York, I was meeting with a buddy of mine, my buddy Sammy's like... I haven't watched the Warriors at all this year, and I just told him, I was like, you know what? You should do it because it's exactly what it sounds like. It's Kevin Durant on the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, and it looks like he's having a lot of fun. Like, as much as that sounds like a small point, and it and it kind of is in other ways, He the whole team is just, they're happy. And it's a lot easier to be happy when you're winning. And I like that he has had, he looks like he has a real connection with some of the bench guys on this team. He gets happier in many ways for when Ian Clark does something good than when he does something good himself. And that's a kind of a trademark for the Warriors. It happened a lot. If they had a bench cam for the Clay 60-point game, that was something that was really true in that one, where Curry was happier. Like He ran into the tunnel after a great Clay Thompson play. And Curry always gets the crowd going on his stuff, but... I've noticed that Curry, a lot of times when he does that for his own success, it's more that kind of crowd motivation rather than him celebrating his own success. But when it's a teammate, he just goes nuts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Warriors, they've been uh, super, super fun to start the season. Uh, A lot more fun than I think people anticipated so soon. Uh, But uh, there were some other changes uh, transitioning from Blazers, Warriors uh, game stuff. Uh, there was some other news that happened while I was out that I wanted to address, and I'm thankful to have CBA expert Danny LaRue here with me. Uh, the NBA the and the Players Association agreed to a new collective bargaining agreement. There are some changes in there. I believe there's going to be two two-way contracts per team that players can swing between the D-League and the NBA. Uh, so I'm sure that that's going to affect every team. Uh, and... 
Then there's also some some new incentivized extension structures. Uh, Danny, does the Blazers had a lot of their guys already signed to extension, so I'm going to start with them first. Uh, how much th- that extension stuff doesn't really affect the Blazers much, does it? Not really. They're pretty much set because they signed CJ and Dame's already on his extension already. And a lot of the other nuances were ways of making it, basically making it harder on teams who have cap space to use all of it. So they raised minimum salaries, they raised certain cap hold things, all that sort of stuff. But Portland's over the cap anyway, so it doesn't really affect them at all. The two-way contract thing absolutely will, because that you know that that's a door that's now open for everybody. It's exciting to to see how all that works out. But Portland. Them and and arguably maybe Cleveland are probably the two teams that are least affected by a lot of the nuance of the CBA. It's not everything. You know, we'll we'll have to see how some of it works out. But the Blazers are pretty much the Blazers, and that's fine. You know, I I think that's kind of when they bought in over the summer, that was what they were doing to a degree was taking out that variance. And considering the timeline they were under, that was completely fine. Yeah, again, everyone is is harping on the Blazers for their bad start, and it has been a rough start. But, you know, they've had some bad injury luck. They uh, have had a really tough schedule to start the season, and they're still a a couple games ahead right now of their pace from last year. So uh, I think they're still in a pretty good good spot, and it seems like the, the the Lakers and the Kings are who we thought they were. Uh, in terms of uh, teams maybe making the playoffs. So it looks like they they have a little bit of cushion. Obviously, the Kings are kind of right behind the Blazers, but I think they will be fine. And, yeah, the CBA doesn't really affect um, any extensions. And the only thing I think that it will affect is the is Mason Plumlee's restricted free agency, which that that is now no longer a three-day deadline, right? That's a two-day deadline. It's two, it's two days. So that that's a little bit different. They also, it sounds like they tightened up the – timeline in terms of withdrawing a qualifying offer I doubt that's going to happen with Mason Plumlee because that only really happens with guys who are lower than him like Mm -hmm. you know Tyler Zeller Uh, no Tyler Zeller I don't think had that happen last year Jared Sullinger did and so those types of circumstances but basically if you do that you're letting a guy go for nothing so I I doubt that's going to happen with with Mason there's no good reason for it so yeah the the Blazers are, are in that but it affects everyone because Anything that affects the dynamics of the league, you know, right, the teams exactly. in their teams in their division, teams in their conference are going to be affected, and so it bounces through that. And also, one really exciting thing, which is a CBA nerd thing, but it's something that Tom Ziller, I give a lot of credit to for beating the drum on this, but they fixed it, is they're still going to have a moratorium. It sounds like it's going to be five days, but teams are going to know the actual salary cap number at the start of the moratorium. So it's not this circumstance where they're negotiating all these contracts in the abstract and then have to tweak them slightly once they the audit's done. Apparently, they're going to have the audit done before free agency starts, which is just good for everybody because then everybody knows the playing field you're working from. And instead of having these negotiations, then going, oops, we have an extra 500000 in cap space we could have used. Oh, never mind. Like Now teams can actually know that going in. Yeah, that's good. It seems like... Yeah, at least on on this to this time around, it seems like they're getting they're doing a little bit better at getting their their ducks in a row in a more logical way when it comes to uh, the free agency and and, and stuff like that uh, in the CBA. Uh, yeah, the CBA just got done on Thursday. 
Uh, any other any other big big things uh, from from that that any changes that uh, you found interesting or, or, or things that uh, you know you really focused in on when you heard about it like wow that's a good idea. Yeah, a couple things. So one is they fixed the extension system, which was the biggest problem with the CBA. It worked for the Blazers; they got CJ and and Lillard on it. But for a lot of players, because the Blazers guys were younger, players like Kevin Durant, incidentally couldn't basically couldn't sign extensions under the old deal because the structure didn't allow for it because the cap rose so fast that's fixed now and they actually added this stronger max for guys in the 70 year experience range who are good enough to get the like the real 35 percent max like lebron can get so stephen curry is actually going to make a lot more money because of this deal that's one thing but i'm also one of the most interesting things this just came out this i just saw it this morning from eric pinkus of basketball insiders piece is that For prior CBAs, if let's say you had a player who had a a light guarantee on a full deal, so like Aaron Aflalo next year, I think he has a $12 million contract, but only $1.5 million of it is guaranteed. So in terms of trade values and matching money and all that, his salary for that was $12 million. Now it's $1.5. So teams aren't going to be able... It's going to be a very different sort of trading system, so you're not going to get those circumstances where... Like a team trades, basically tries to dump salary in that way, so they match they match salary and then just basically cut the guy. It's very different. I'm not exactly sure if it's going to work in the way they want it to, but I'm excited about it because anytime you change the rules in that sort of a way and teams are going to have to feel their way through it, especially as lightly guaranteed contracts have become so trendy. Mm-hmm. The, the Blazers actually have one of those in Festus Zeely. Granted, that's probably not going to matter, sadly because of the the recent news with him. Right. But those sorts of circumstances are going to happen now. So it's, so you're just sitting there going, huh, because maybe sometimes a team is going to trade a small asset for a guy that maybe that team would have cut. But now they're like, well, I can basically get that guy for free. And then they, maybe they keep him. That could happen a little bit now too. Whereas before they would probably just cut that guy or whatever else would happen with that. So we'll see how a lot of that kind of stuff works out. And, but it's going to be fun. And I'm also really happy. This is a small thing, but not only did they raise the rookie scale and all of that sort of stuff, because those guys have been getting underpaid for a long time, but they also retroactively will raise salaries for guys that are on those rookie scales for future seasons. So like Dan Feldman of NBC's pro basketball talk did the math and Ben Simmons, who was the number one pick last year is going to make 27 million more now than he was before, but that $27 million doesn't count against the Sixers' cap, so it doesn't hurt their ability to get new guys. That's really interesting. That's a, that's a good little tweak. Yeah, because those guys, I mean, rookie contracts have been historically, uh, they're just, they're you're stealing at that point with rookie contracts because they're you're getting guys that are all-star level producers that are getting paid less than guys on benches. And it's, yeah, it, it, yeah it's... Uh, that's a good tweak uh, that they that they made there in the CBA. Uh, obviously, that do, that stuff doesn't kick in until July first of the of of twenty seventeen, right? Right, which is one of those disappointments that I actually had. I think Nate Duncan, who I do the Dunk On Basketball podcast with, had had an idea that I really liked of being able to at least allow the extension system to kick in now because then certain players could have been eligible and that would have been nice. Basically, it would have hurt teams that are trying to get new free agents, like basically everybody wants to try to get Gordon Hayward. But I think it would have been kind of fair because those players were living under a a completely unjust regime Mm -hmm. and to just be like, oh, well, we're fixing it, but not for you. 
I, I think that's kind of a, it's, it's not unfair because either way it was going to be kind of screwed up, but that would have been nice. Like, I, I think at that point you might as well just reach out to those guys and say, yeah, we're, we're kind of sorry. And they didn't do that. It sounds like from, from what I'm hearing, they're not going to do that. And I understand why, because the other team who are all the teams with cap space this year, were going to cry bloody murder. If that happened, like the Celtics, mm -hmm. Celtics would cry bloody murder, but I think that would have been fair. So it's a personal preference thing, but that's the way that I would have gone with it. And yeah, it's going to be exciting just to see it. And one thing I caution people with always as somebody who has gone through this before, because I was covering the NBA when the last CBA came out is be ready for some of the stuff to change a little bit from not from from what is actually in the current agreement to now, but to way, the way it's reported, just because the CBA is incredibly complicated and sometimes it's going through a filter between now. And so basically everything is kind of in this general state right now, but nothing is certain until we actually until it's ratified, which will probably happen in the next couple of weeks. And then the actual thing gets released and then people who are giant nerds who will go through the whole thing like I will probably three or four times really read it and make sure because every once in a while you can get a misinterpretation. It won't affect the Blazers probably, but just remember that nothing is final until it's final. Yeah, no, that's a good, 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 good reminder. Uh, yeah. Whenever this lockout stuff, CBA stuff, we're all, we're all still figuring it out, but there, there are some interesting things. I think it'll definitely make the draft a, a lot more interesting, especially things like the mm -hmm. second round, because then you're looking at guys that, guys teams can keep uh if teams have a 15-man roster they can invest in some prospects it, perhaps if the, they had that 16 17th man spot perhaps the blazers keep someone like luis montero in their system to keep developing him in the d league or something like that and so um yeah no it's really interesting uh what's happening with the cba i think it's all uh very good changes smart changes uh, to the collective bargaining agreement. But again, we're just finding out, just starting to wrap our heads around uh, what those changes are going to be. Um, anything on the on the Warriors side of things that you think um, the CBA uh, might affect? It seems like obviously Steph is going to be able to get more money uh, in free agency. Uh, but uh, what stands out to you from their perspective, obviously them being uh, the, the, the marquee team we're all looking at? There is one big thing that affects them, and basically it, it, I've been keying on this back since I think I wrote the first piece on this point in October back at the Sporting News, which is Durant is basically facing a choice of he's probably going to sign a one-year deal either way, just be, in my opinion, because he won't want to sign a long-term one because he can't get those bigger raises because you can't get that until you've been on a team for a couple of years. But he basically has to choose between around uh, it's about 31 and a half million to sign as what's called a non-bird free agent so basically then the warriors stay over the cap and then they can retain guys like Iguodala and Livingston and so the question was where was his max going to go so basically how much money would he have to leave on the table if you want to choose that and so because of the way they changed max calculations it went up to about 36 million so now if he wanted to do that and he certainly can now he's sacrificing four and a half million dollars to basically have better teammates I legitimately don't know if he's going to do that, but that's really his choice. So he can either he can either play for thirty six million and probably the Warriors lose Iguodala and Livingston, or he can play for thirty one and a half or so and they can keep those guys assuming they resign. So 
that's a big question for the whole league because in terms of competitive balance, the Warriors will be a lot better. The Warriors will be a lot worse. Also, it affects how much the Warriors pay in the luxury tax in the future and a lot of other stuff. So it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what that is. And there's really no way to spin it for Durant. Basically, he makes one choice or he makes the other. He, there isn't really a lot. There isn't really a lot of ways to sugarcoat it if he chooses to maximize his own money. Is there? Uh, you just reminded me of something real quick. Uh, any changes to the luxury tax structure? Not that I've seen, okay. which is a little bit of a surprise. The only big difference, which isn't a luxury tax structure issue, and again, this probably won't affect the Blazers, is that they they raised the apron. So basically what the apron is, is it's an area where you are paying the luxury tax, but you're not affected by the limitations of the luxury tax. So this is actually where the Clippers have lived for the last couple of years. So basically, if you if you pay less than, it's been $4 million under the current CBA, if you are less than $4 million over the line, you could still use the full mid-level exception. You could still do some of the other team-building stuff. But if you, but basically, that puts a hard cap on you. Mm-hmm. Now they're elevating that to $6 million because basically the cap rose so much. They're like, it's not fair to keep that line the same place. They rose it. They, they elevated it. Sorry, they didn't rose it. They, uh, so they <laughs> did that. We'll see, we'll see if that really affects anybody moving forward because it's, it's just a, like that's a hard area to kind of be in. But... It does something, but other than that, it sounds like from what I've heard, but the luxury tax hasn't gotten a lot of reporting yet, so that's something that could be... Oh, and the other big thing that affects the luxury tax is there is no amnesty provision. So that was a way that teams could cut salary, and then if you know, you still have to pay the guy, but it wouldn't count against the, the tax or the salary cap, there is no luxury tax. There's no get-out-of-jail-free card in the CBA. All right, well, the, the all those contracts... That, that that you give out uh you're not gonna get any take back skis anymore uh so any blazer fans wanting to take back skis on uh any of their free agents uh you're not going to get to do it so um i don't we're not there yet maybe uh, <laughs> uh well, it doesn't it doesn't matter if you're there yet or not you can't do it can't so. can't do it yeah so we'll just uh look yearn for the old times of the amnesty when they had to use it on brandon roy uh, <laughs> uh, wow, you you somehow made that even more depressing. Right, I, I have r- to give you I have to give you credit for that. You turned Evan Turner into Brandon Roy's amnesty, which is impressive. Yeah, that, we're getting dark on a Monday. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Danny, any, any anything else you wanted to uh, talk to the people about uh, and and mention before we uh, sign off? I think we covered the bases on some CBA stuff that we know now. Uh, before, you know, we're, we're going to find out a lot more, um, you know, over the next few weeks, months, uh, about that stuff. I'll, I'll give a little bit of promotion to something cool that Nate Duncan and I have started. We started the Twitter NBA show, which is basically a live streaming halftime and post game show. We do it usually once a week with national games. So this week we're doing Thursday because Thursday is actually the only game I believe with national TV games, like with ESPN, TNT. And then right. we're also doing Christmas day. So we're going to be doing the, fir- the the first three games on Christmas. So I think that's Celtics, Knicks, Warriors, Cavs, and I'm legitimately forgetting what the third game is. But we're doing those. So what that means is we'll be doing live halftime shows, about 10 minutes for the halftime shows, and then a big post-game show, which we're actually, I believe, going to do after Warriors-Cavs, even though it's not the last game because that's the one that people are going nuts over. Mm-hmm. So we'll be doing that. And it's a lot of fun. We take live questions. If for those of you who listen to Dunked On, it's kind of like a live version of Dunked On, and you actually get to see our, you actually get to see us as opposed to it being an audio only thing. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, check out Danny and Nate on the Twitter NBA show pre-post 
this Thursday and also on Christmas Day. So be sure to check that out. Danny and Nate Duncan, uh, friends of the podcast, sister networks, I would say, the Dunked On Network and the Locked On Network were basically, you know, there's, there's, there's a symbiosis happening uh between between our networks so definitely check that out listen to dunked on listen to locked on warriors uh where danny's also giving you the good stuff um and i think that's going to do it for me uh eric Gunderson here uh subscribe to locked on blazers on itunes stitcher audio boom all those places leave us a five-star review uh and and check out everything on the locked on podcast network locked on nba locked on fantasy basketball starting to heat up uh so yeah check out everything that we have for you We've got a wide variety of stuff and we'll be back with you later on in the week thanks danny for joining me anytime